Preface to the Unknown Life of Jesus Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Luna. The Unknown Life of Jesus Christ by Nicholas Notovich. Translated by J. H. Connolly and L. Landsberg. Preface After the Turkish War, 1877 to 1878, I made a series of travels in the Orient. From the little remarkable Balkan Peninsula, I went across the Caucasus to Central Asia and Persia, and finally, in 1887, visited India, an admirable country which had attracted me from my earliest childhood. My purpose in this journey was to study and know, at home, the peoples who inhabit India and their customs, the grand and mysterious archaeology, and the colossal and majestic nature of their country. Wandering about without fixed plans, from one place to another, I came to mountainous Afghanistan, whence I regained India by way of the picturesque passes of Bolan and Guernai. Then, going up the Indus to Raval Pindi, I ran over the Punjab, the land of the five rivers, visited the golden temple of Amritsa, the tomb of the king of Punjab, Rajit Singh, near Lahore, and turned toward Kashmir, the valley of eternal bliss. Thence I directed my peregrinations, as my curiosity impelled me, until I arrived in Ladakh, whence I intended returning to Russia by way of Karakarou and Chinese Turkestan. One day, while visiting a Buddhist convent on my route, I learned from a chief lama that there existed in the archives of Lhasa very ancient memoirs relating to the life of Jesus Christ and the Occidental nations, and that certain great monasteries possessed old copies and translations of those chronicles. As it was little probable that I should make another journey into this country, I resolved to put off my return to Europe until a later date, and, cost what it might, either find those copies in the great convents or go to Lhasa, a journey which is far from being so dangerous and difficult as is generally supposed, involving only such perils as I was already accustomed to, and which would not make me hesitate at attempting it. During my sojourn at Leh, capital of Ladakh, I visited the great convent Himis, situated near the city, the chief lama of which informed me that their monastic library contained copies of the manuscripts in question. In order that I might not awaken the suspicions of the authorities concerning the object of my visit to the cloister, and to evade obstacles which might be opposed to me as a Russian, prosecuting further my journey in Tibet, I gave out upon my return to Leh that I would depart for India, and so left the capital of Ladakh. An unfortunate fall, causing the break of a leg, furnished me with an absolutely unexpected pretext for returning to the monastery, where I received surgical attention. I took advantage of my sort sojourn among the lamas to obtain the consent of their chief that they should bring to me from their library the manuscripts relating to Jesus Christ, and assisted by my interpreter, who translated for me the Tibetan language, transferred carefully to my notebook what the lama read to me. Not doubting at all the authenticity of this chronicle, edited with great exactitude by the Brahmanic, and more especially the Buddhist historians of India and Nepal, 
I desired, upon my return to Europe, to publish a translation of it. To this end, I addressed myself to several universally known ecclesiastics, asking them to revise my notes and tell me what they thought of them. Monsignor Platon, the celebrated Metropolitan of Kiev, thought that my discovery was of great importance. Nevertheless, he sought to dissuade me from publishing the memoirs, believing that their publication could only hurt me. Why? This the venerable prelate refused to tell me more explicitly. Nevertheless, since our conversation took place in Russia, where the censor would have put its veto upon such a work, I made up my mind to wait. A year later I found myself in Rome. I showed my manuscript to a cardinal very near to the Holy Father, who answered me literally in these words, What good will it do to print this? Nobody will attach to it any great importance, and you will create a number of enemies. But you are still very young. If it is a question of money which concerns you, I can ask for you a reward for your notes, a sum which will repay your expenditures and recompense you for your loss of time. Of course I refused. In Paris, I spoke of my project to Cardinal Rutelli, whose acquaintance I had made in Constantinople. He, too, was opposed to having my work printed, under the pretext that it would be premature. The Church, he added, suffers already too much from the new currents of atheistic ideas, and you will but give a new food to the calumniators and detractors of the evangelical doctrine. I tell you this in the interest of all the Christian churches. Then I went to see Monsieur Jules Simon. He found my matter very interesting, and advised me to ask the opinion of Monsieur Renan as to the best way of publishing these memoirs. The next day I was seated in the cabinet of the great philosopher. At the close of our conversation, Monsieur Renan proposed that I should confide to him the memoirs in question so that he might make to the academy a report upon the discovery. This proposition, as may be easily understood, was very alluring and flattering to my amour propre. I, however, took away with me the manuscript, under the pretext of further revising it. I foresaw that if I accepted the proposed combination, I would only have the honour of having found the chronicles, while the illustrious author of The Life of Jesus would have the glory of the publication and the commenting upon it. I thought myself sufficiently prepared to publish the translation of the chronicles, accompanying them with my notes, and therefore did not accept the very gracious offer he made to me. But that I might not wound the susceptibility of the great master, for whom I felt a profound respect, I made up my mind to delay publication until after his death, a fatality which could not be far off, if I might judge from the apparent general weakness of M. Renan. A short time after M. Renan's death, I wrote to M. Jules Simon again for his advice. He answered me that it was my affair to judge of the opportunity for making the memoirs public. I therefore put my notes in order and now published them, reserving the right to substantiate the authenticity of these chronicles. In my commentaries, I prefer the arguments which must convince us of the sincerity and good faith of the Buddhist compilers. I wish to add that before criticizing my communication, the societies of savants can, without much expense, equip a scientific expedition having for its mission the study of those manuscripts in the place where I discovered them, and so may easily verify their historic value.
Nicholas Notovich. End of preface.